Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Fantastic. Welcome to One Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, today we're starting a new series, and it's called Come Home. Come Home. So here's what we're going to do before we dive into the Bible this morning. I just want to hear from you guys, and I want you guys to talk to one another. When you hear the word home... What are some of the words that you think of? So I'm going to give you the next 30 seconds and find somebody next to you and tell them what the word home means to you. All right, let me get a quick poll. Home. Is, how many of y'all, when you think of home, you think of something positive? Okay. Uh, how many of y'all, when you think of home, you think of something negative? Anyone? All right. Most of it, nobody in the first service either, because there's something about home, the word home, we always think of something positive. We think of something, sometimes we think of a place. Sometimes we think of a feeling, we think of a family member. Uh, some of you may think of a family member who's went on and passed away. Um, you may think of a time or experience, maybe a time when there was a little bit of some innocence there. Um, tell you a little bit about myself. I am from Clarksville. Uh, Clarksville is my home. I was actually born here in Clarksville. I'm like one of the two people that actually was born here in Clarksville. The rest of y'all, you got here as quick as you could, right? <clears throat> And uh, the thing about Clarksville, you know, I was born on Madison Street and at Memorial Hospital, and I lived here all throughout my high school years. I went to college here. Um, I, I was uh, in the marching, in the Austin P. Marching Band. And uh, I know some of you, you're looking at me and you're going, yeah, it fits. Anyway, <clears throat> but, uh, but uh, I ended up getting out of Austin P. I graduated there in 93, and from there I moved uh, to Texas. Uh, to go to seminary. And, uh, and you know, for the next 13 years, my wife and I, we got married um, in December 11th, 1993. By the way, my 18-year wedding anniversary will be next Sunday. It's going to be really cool. So, so um, and I'm going to be with you. It'll be fun. I'm joking. Anyway, but, uh, you know, the cool thing about that, we we actually moved to Dallas, and for the next 13 years, I uh, served in churches in Dallas, Texas, in um, Auburn, Alabama, in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and then I moved from Virginia Beach, Virginia to Iowa. <laughs> yeah. And um, because God called. And uh, and it's amazing, you know, for the 13 years, we we didn't, you know, we weren't really close to home. In fact, um, the farthest we were away from home was when we lived in Virginia Beach, and it was 13 hours away. And the thing I liked most about coming home, we always came home for Christmas. And uh, I used to carry this big old CDs, and there was like 50 Christmas CDs I'd lug with me. And we would listen to Christmas music all the way, 13 hours from the beach to Clarksville. Now, some of you, you're like, oh, that doesn't sound fun. It was so much fun. It was so much fun because there's something about the whole idea of home and coming home for the holidays, and I'll be home for Christmas, that draws us. For some of you, it's a location. For others of you, it's when you're like seven and you still had this innocence and you believed in something that maybe you don't believe in today, or maybe you, you just kind of, it was just magical. It's magical. And some of us, 
the way we view our childhood past and Christmas is kind of almost how we view our spiritual walk as well. That there was this time in our past that it was just magical between you and God. But since then, life has happened and some of your beliefs have taken a hit and you feel not where you need to be spiritually. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. We're going to be looking at the most popular story that Jesus told in the entire Bible. In fact, the story we're going to be looking at is really a story that is my favorite story that Jesus told ever. And it's this one story that after hearing it and hearing it taught, that God really called us to start church, to start one church. So I'm really excited over the next few weeks to be looking at the principles we're going to be finding in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Now you can do that in a couple of ways. We're going to have it on the screen. We give away free Bibles here at One Church because we want everybody to be able to have a Bible that they can understand. So you can go outside and you can grab one of those. Or if you have a web-enabled phone, you can go to YouVersion and then search for live events. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. And uh, in this chapter, Jesus tells a story back to back to back. In fact, it's one of the only times in the Bible he ever does this. And all of these three stories have a common theme. And it's the idea of being lost and being found, being lost and being found, being lost and being found. And before we dig into Luke chapter 15, verse 11, I want to show you the context in which Jesus is teaching this story about the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, which is Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what did they do? They muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, so there's two groups of people. On one group, you have the religious goody-two-shoes. The, the Bible calls them Pharisees. Now, on the other group, you have who? Tax collectors and sinners. In fact, if you have a, a different version of the Bible, it, it actually says tax collectors and other notorious sinners. All right? So, in this entire thing, we're going to see, and this is a huge principle we're going to see throughout the entire Bible, that... People who were nothing like Jesus liked being around Jesus. Isn't that cool? People who were nothing like Jesus liked being around Jesus. Now, the reason why I can't get over that is because if our actions and our teachings don't have the same effect on others that people that Jesus had, then maybe we're not teaching the same things Jesus taught, and maybe we don't have the same attitude that Jesus had. Because what's crazy to me is this. Jesus, on multiple occasions all throughout the Bible, was accused of hanging out with the wrong crowd. I mean, in the religious people, this just ticked them off. It really made them angry because they were the holy, righteous people. And they had this mindset, if Jesus was holy and righteous and godly, then shouldn't he be hanging out with the holy, righteous and godly crowd? But if Jesus had a choice between hanging out with the holy, righteous, godly crowd or hanging out with the people who had a busted up relationship with their heavenly father, people who were jacked up, sinners, tax collectors, and we're going to go through all of this stuff, what they kind of look like. He always choose the people who had a busted up relationship with their heavenly father, always. And this just made them angry and it made them mutter. He chose to hang out with people who were far away from God. 
So, because they're complaining through this, the Pharisees and the religious people, and they have this question, why is he hanging out with them, and why do they like hanging out with him and not us? Jesus tells a story. He tells three stories. The first one is about a lost sheep. That, and he, he tells a story that the shepherd had 99 sheep, uh, had 100 sheep, and 99 of them were safe, and one got lost. He said, what is he going to do? And he says, I'm going to go on it. He's going to find the lost sheep. You're exactly right. And then he talks about the parable of the lost coin, the story of the lost coin, and how this woman had this very, very, very valuable coin. She had ten of them. Nine of them she had, but one she couldn't find. And this lady tore up the entire house until she found it. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. And then we get in verse 11 to the most important, the most popular story that even if you've never been in church, you probably heard this story. And it is the parable of the prodigal son. This is what it says in verse 11 and 12. To illustrate this point, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. I want to stop right there because there's two sons, right? There is an older son and a younger son. How many of y'all are older? You're like the oldest siblings. Let me see your hands. How many of y'all are the younger? Oh, yeah. It's the younger you got to watch out for, isn't it? Come on now. And what we're going to be looking at, we're going to see that the younger son is the hellion. He's, he's the hellraiser. I mean, he's the party waiting to happen. I mean, he is the one who's going crazy. But here's the thing, and this is crazy. This is amazing. These two brothers represent two different ways that you and I are alienated from God. Because even though it's called the parable of the prodigal son... It really should be named the parable of the prodigal sons. Because these two sons give us two different ways that we seek acceptance from our God and that we tend to seek forgiveness from God. And what we're going to realize over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the younger son today. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at the older son. And the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to be looking at this parable through the eyes of the father. But what we're going to be looking at is that both the younger and the older son were lost and did not have a relationship with their father. They were alienated from their father. Two audiences listened to Jesus' story. Now, let's talk about that. There was, the, there was the tax collectors and the sinners. I mean, these people knew that they were far away from God. These are the people who are um, strippers, tax collectors. They were prostitutes. They were slave traders, addicts, drunks. Um, they knew that they were second-class citizens. They knew it. Nobody didn't have to tell them. They knew it. In fact, they heard so many times in the synagogues and through all the religious people that God created a special place just for them, and it wasn't heaven. In fact, in this day and age, these second-class citizens, these sinners, these terrible, no-good, awful people couldn't even go into the synagogues, which is the places of worship. They couldn't hear the Bible being read because they knew that God and them were on two way different sections of, 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 I mean, just, they weren't even the same continent. And then you have the Pharisees. And these guys, they wouldn't miss church for nothing. Very religious. They voted a certain way. They they had a moral standing, and they knew exactly about their morals and their beliefs. Um, They had 30-year pins of how many times they had been to Hebrew school. They listened to Hebrew radio. 
um, they had Hebrew bumper, bumper stickers on their chariots with little fish, right? Um, one of the bumper stickers said probably, you know, in case of rapture, this chariot will be unmanned, right? And there was this idea that they lived such good lives that these Pharisees begin to believe that they, their moral rightness made them deserving of heaven. That there were two different classes and they thought it's them and it's us. And because we believe right, then we are right. And that God must give us heaven because we deserve it. That's the idea. They had this belief, you know, we're not going to smoke, we're not going to chew, we're not going to go with girls who do. Right? So, in this idea... Two different audiences, two different sons, and I'm going to keep on reading. It says, a man had two sons. The younger told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting when? Until you die. Until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. Now, this younger said the most disrespectful thing you could say to a dad. Hey, dad, you know, you're going to die one day, right? Yeah. Uh, Let's just kind of, I'm tired of waiting. I just kind of want to pretend that you're dead. Give me my stuff. I mean, think about that. How painful that must have been as a father hearing those words. But crazy enough, Jesus, as he's telling this story, the master storyteller says that the father agreed and he divided his estate between his two sons. I mean, it's this idea that this younger son actually knew better than his father. How many of y'all got teenagers? (laughs) Two. I just had, uh, my oldest son became a teenager last week. And uh, there's just something crazy. In fact, even if you don't have teenagers, we've all been a teenager. And if you are a teenager now, shame on you. I'm just joking. But we have this idea. I remember when I was a teenager, guys, I remember thinking, my parents are just dumb. They, they, they're not living in the real world. Right? And it's just, I just, I remember this. So I had this belief that I knew better than they did. And that's exactly how the son in the story field fell. And get this, this was crazy enough. The son in the story believes that his dad is trying to keep him from something. That his dad is trying to keep him from a good life or a fun life to experience. And don't we have the same feeling as kids? I mean, why does my mom not let me go to that party? How come my dad always makes me come home during my curfew? We have this idea that our parents are trying to keep us from experiencing a good life and something fun. And isn't that how we view our Heavenly Father? Think about it, y'all. We think of God, God as this Father, this old dude up in heaven, going, I don't want you to, you know, to experience this because if you do, you're going to have too much fun. Right? But that is exactly how the son in the story thought of his dad. His dad is trying to keep me from something good. So he leaves his dad. He thinks he knows more, and he thinks his dad is trying to keep him from the good life. So he walks out on his dad. And all of us, we know what that looks like and feels like because all of us have run away, haven't we? Maybe not ran away physically, but we've all kind of did, we've done our own thing. And that's exactly what we're going to see what happens in verse 13. It says, a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he what? He wasted all his money on wild living. This wild, rebellious younger son throws one party after another party after another. And he goes, he moves 
to this faraway city, and there he blows it all. What has taken his dad years to say for, it's gone in months. And everything's great for a while, and there's, you know, there's, there's highs, and there's a lot of alcohol, and there's a lot of drugs, and there's a lot of sex, and there's a lot of fun for a while. But at the end, the fun always stops once the money runs out. And then he wakes up one day, and there is no alcohol because there's no money to buy it. He's hungover, has track marks all over his arm, and he's given his, his soul away to every girl who wanted to come around. And now he's lonelier and emptier than he ever has been. And, and, it, and it even gets worse than that. Verse 14, it says this. And about the time the money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. Now this is a principle that when we run from God, we run to some pretty self-destructive places, don't we? All of us do. And all of us knows what it means to run. Uh, we, can, we can try to run to things that we think will satisfy us, that we think that our, you know, maybe God or our parents were trying to keep from us that good life. And when we get there, we realize it's not that good. It's not that much fun. And it leaves us emptier. And, I, and this is amazing. Pain, listen to this, guys. Pain is an amazing teacher on our lives. Because the bad choices we make sets up a situation in which we get to the end of ourselves and relationships can be mended. But that comes through pain and bad choices. Now the reason why I want to I talk about that is so many times we as parents, we do everything that we can to protect our children from pain. We do everything, and they may make bad choice after bad choice after bad choice, and we have a tendency to move into our children's lives and try to cut them off from the pain of the bad choices. And often, when we try to do that and when we do that, what we're doing is we're keeping them farther away from God longer. Because what happens is now you become a very dirty word, an enabler. And yes, we want to protect our children. Of course we do. But when bad choices come, there are always consequences. Always. And hear me, those consequences, even though they stink at the time, will eventually get us to the end of ourselves. when we're the only place we have to look is to God. The pain leads us back to God. I'm going to keep on reading. Verse 15 and 16. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right? I've been around pigs. Some of you married a pig. Right? Some of you work with pigs. Here's the thing. And, and, this, and you probably know this. If you're not grown up in church, you might not. But to a Jewish person, pigs were not good things. They didn't like bacon. They didn't like... They didn't eat sausage. Right? They thought... Pigs were unclean. In fact, even in the Middle East today, not only Jews, but Muslims see pigs as something that's very, very dirty. So for this guy to be, to be working at a pig farm means it's gotten as bad as it could get. I mean, here he is, and I'm going to keep on reading. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. You know what that's called? It's a Greek word. It's called nasty. 
But no one gave him anything. But this, this young son still hasn't hit rock bottom. Still hasn't. And what's crazy about this is when we run from God, it will always lead us to some very self-destructive places in which we lie starving and empty, smelling like a pig pen. Always. Now hear me, it's fun for a while, isn't it? Anybody ever told you that kind of going out and doing your own thing and doing the sin thing ain't fun? They lied to you. It's fun for a while. But after a while, it's not fun anymore. It's not fun anymore. And some of you, when we run, when all, and all of us have run, when we run from God, we, do some, we go to some pretty self-destructive places and we, start, we don't think logically. And we, we start looking back, how come I married her? How come I slept with him? How come I invested in that? How come we chose to buy that? How come we signed the lease on that? How, and, and, and you start scratching your head going, what in the world? What was I thinking, right? But the thing is, you're not thinking. Because, or you're thinking, but you're not thinking with your head. You're not thinking right. You're thinking, if I can do my own thing. In fact, this is what Proverbs 14.12 says. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, to a person. But in the end, where does it lead? Death. You see, when you say, I think that may be the way to go. I think this is, if you, if you just, hey, just follow your heart. How many of y'all have ever heard that wonderful advice? Right? The Bible tells that wonderful advice doesn't end well. It does not end well. Well, I just want to be happy. I just want to follow my heart. That ends in death of relationships. That ends in death of dreams. That ends in spiritual death. And it even ends in physical death. That's where it goes. And that's exactly what this young son has experienced I mean, he's, he's convinced himself that he knows more about life than his dad and that de- his dad was trying to keep him from a fun life, but the fun never lasts and the high never lasts and the party never lasts and the cheap sex never lasts and the alcohol wears off and you're emptier than you've ever been, you're lonelier than you've ever been, and you're starting to smeg, smell like pigs. It's never a good place. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's what you're at right now. I mean, you've showed up, and some of you, you may have been coming to one church for a long time. Some of you are like, man, I don't even know why I'm here. I ain't been to church in forever. And I walk through the door, and I don't even know why. But you do know why. Because you realize that you are lonely, that you are empty, and that you're crying out, and what you've been running to hasn't been satisfying it hasn't helped it's hurt now what's so crazy about this look at verse 17 it says when he finally came to his senses i mean what a painful moment and for some of you you know what that feels like because that is today when he finally came in senses he says to himself and what's those next two words at home what is he thinking about home At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. He starts to think about home. The idea of home is such a powerful pull. Home is the place where you feel safe, that you feel accepted. It's the place where you 
you know that somebody will always love you. And sometimes it's not even a place, it's a feeling, it's an idea. And this young boy, has that, he, his mind starts to drift out of the stench of where he's at. And he starts to dream about home. Let me ask a question, and I just want to give you a little bit of time for it to sit. Has there ever been a time in your life, has there ever been a time in your life when you felt closer to God than you do now? Ask that again. Has there ever been a time in your life that you used to feel closer to God than you do now? I want to let that question sit just for a second. Do you feel like you're a long way from home? Do you feel like that God has just abandoned you? I mean, that the stories and the morals that you used to know and believe in, you left a long time ago. You need to know that if there was a time you ever felt closer to God than you do now, something has changed. You know that. God has not walked away from you, even though you may believe that. Maybe a circumstance has happened, and you have drifted from your Heavenly Father. And here's what I know, because in this story, this young boy is starting to talk to himself. He's starting to have a little conversation with himself, and he doesn't have a problem with his dad. He used to have a problem with his dad. He thought his dad was dumb. He thought his dad was trying to keep him from the good life. He doesn't believe that anymore. He doesn't have a problem with his dad, but he's reluctant to come home because he thinks his dad has a problem with him. He thinks, my dad would never, ever allow me to come home because I've burnt too many bridges and there's been too much that's happened and, and all of this stuff has just unraveled and my life is like one big knot and my my father will never allow me back in the house. So he starts having a conversation. I'm, I'm not going to try to come home as a son. I'm going to try to come home as a servant. Verse 18. I will go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son and I don't even want to be called your son. I know that's over. Look at what he finishes saying. Please take me on as a what? A hired servant. I mean, this prodigal doesn't have a problem with his dad, but he thinks his dad is going to have a problem with him because of how he left, because he ran. He's thinking, my father has a lot of servants, and they got more than enough food to eat. I mean, they have dinners, and there's leftovers. And here, I'm over eating somebody's week-old leftovers being slopped to a hog. I'm going to go home, not as a son, but as a servant. So he gets up and he begins his long journey home. Look at what verse 20 says. So he returned, and everybody say it, home. Let me tell you what biblically this is called. I'm going to give you a very churchy word that many times we say in church and a lot of times we don't define it, and I'm going to unpack it today for you. And it's what this is called is repent. To repent. Everybody say repent. Now, here's why I know it's churchy. How many of y'all in the past week has said the word repent in a casual conversation that had nothing to do with church? Anyone? No one. Crazy, ain't it? I mean, you're not at the water cooler saying, hey, I think I'm going to repent. Excuse me? No, you don't say those words. But let me tell you what this word means. Because when we think of repent, we think of a whole lot of 
hellfire and damnation and weeping and gnashing of teeth and we think of guilt and all of this stuff. And I want to tell you biblically, none of that is right. In fact, let me unpack this. The Bible was written in two different languages. It was written in Hebrew and it was written in Greek. That's right, Greek. I guess it that way. All right. I just got finished watching my big fat Greek wedding. So anyway, cool. So let me give you the Greek word and then I'm going to give you the Hebrew word for repent. All right, here's the Greek word, and we're all going to say it together. It's metanoia. Everybody say that. Metanoia. It's a compound word, and the word noia means mind. The word meta, I mean, if you use the word meta in transformation, like metamorphosis, right? It's a transformation. So it's the transformation of the mind. And it literally means this. It means to change the way your thought patterns to change where the direction of your life, to change your intellect, the decisions that we make. And it literally means it's not a little tweak, a little minor adjustment, or a little course correction. No, no, no. It means to totally, where you're going one way, and you stop, and you change directions. You stop, and you do a 180. And you start going the other way. That's the word metanoia in Greek. Now let me show you the little Hebrew word for repent. And it is the word shuvah. Everybody say that. Shuvah. That's a cool word. Now I really, really like this word because this word literally means to come home. It means to change, to return, to go back to where you belong. To go back to where you belong. Now let me unpack all of this and get our big idea. Did you know this? Some of you, when you think of repent, you think of something, you need to be somewhere and you need to have this feeling and this emotion and you need to beat yourself up and you need to cry and you need to, all of this stuff and it's all about wallowing. And you need to know that is not what the word repentance means in the Bible. You see, repentance isn't an emotion. It's motion. Here's our big idea. Repentance isn't an emotion of feeling bad. It is the motion of coming home. You see, it's not about emotion, it's about motion. It's not about feeling bad, it's about stopping and turning around and going to where you belong. Let me tell you about where you belong. You belong, who created you was God. And you belong with Him. You belong with your Father. And I love how Dallas Willard talks about repentance. He says this, it means to reconsider and reconfigure your strategy for living. And all of us have strategy for livings, don't we? Let me give you some strategy for livings. Let's get as much money as I can so I can do whatever I want. That's a path. That's a path. Give you another path. Work as hard as I can so I can prove I'm worth something. That's a path. That's a direction. Put all of my emotional well-being in the marriage and my family and my kids' path. And we overspend, we overeat, we overexercise, we overdrink, we oversex, we over, 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 over. We do all of this stuff. And it's a path. It's a strategy for living. And let me tell you where all of that ends. It ends in death. That's what the Bible says. So he's saying today, you can come home, you can repent, you can stop. It's not about an emotion, it's about the motion of coming back home. And that's what happens. In verse 20 he says, so he returned home to his father. He's coming home. 
And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. And let's all say this last little part. And was filled with. Now stop. What is he filled with? If you're the father in this situation, what are you filled with? Okay. Let's put this in this perspective. If you've walked away from God, what do you think your heavenly father is filled with? You see, if we have sons who are prodigals and they walk away from us, we're probably filled with anger, right? Resentment. We're probably filled and we're ticked off. And we want to give them a lecture. Hey, I told you so. I knew that was going to happen, right? I mean, that's what, that's what we can be filled with. But what was this father filled with? Was it anger? Was it resentment? Was it hatred? Was it disgust? Was it apathy? I mean, do you think he saw this young son coming from a long off and he, he saw all the pig manure all over him and he's like, oh, you disgust me. What is this father filled with? Let's figure out. Let's go to that next verse. The father saw him coming and was filled with love and compassion. If you hear nothing else this morning, you need to know very clearly and unequivocally that when you look back to your heavenly father, he's not filled with anger. He's not filled with disgust. He's not nauseated by the way you've emaciated yourself with an addiction. He doesn't look at the track marks of the needles up and down your, your arms and think, you just, you're nasty. No, 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 no. No. Your Heavenly Father, when He looks at you, He's filled with love and compassion. That's what He's filled with. He's filled with love and compassion. And I'm going to continue reading. It says, and he ran towards his son. He embraced him. By the way, has the son taken a shower yet? Got some deodorant on yet? Maybe put some Axe body spray? None. None of that. The, The son is still smelling like pigs. And here, I'm sure, as Jesus is telling the story, the Pharisees are wanting to go, excuse me, please, don't tell me anymore. That's nasty. And then because Jesus, Jesus says, not only did he embrace him, he kissed him. The Pharisees are like freaking out at this point. And all of this is being done to prove a point. Because of the two people listening to this story. And so the younger son starts saying, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not here as your son. Will you just hire me on as a servant? And look at what he says in verse 22. But his father said to his what? What does it say? I'm going to talk about this in a minute. He's, but his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate. I like that. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And look at these final words. And the party began. That's just, that rocks. I love that. Now, now remember, this son was afraid to come home because he didn't know how his dad was going to respond. 
He's thinking his dad is going to reject him because he rejected his dad. That somehow he was going to talk his father into allowing him to become part of this family unit again, of being a hired servant. He was going to somehow work his way into being part into the father's good graces, somehow work his way into the family. But the father doesn't go for any of that. The father looks at him, you're not my servant. You're my son. You're my son. You know, you and I don't work our way into a relationship with God. You can't go to enough churches. You can't say enough Hail Marys. You can't pray enough prayers. You can't give enough money. You can't can't do any of that enough for God to accept you more than He's already accepted you by giving His Son Jesus to you. God accepts you and He's not expecting you to work for it. He's just saying, come home. Now, what's so cool, and this is why I really want to land on this, because I heard a a dude uh, a couple weeks ago, and I never saw this in the story. Do you know, in this story, the father never speaks to the younger son? And the younger son comes to his dad, and after his dad has embraced him, loved on him, kissed him, the son starts talking to the dad, you know, know, I'm not worthy, all this stuff. And the father says to the servants, quick, get a robe. Get a ring, get sandals. Let me tell you, some of you, you're starting to come back to God. You're starting to get some motion and going towards God to repent. And you feel like you're here, or maybe you feel like the past weeks, months, that God is silent. And you feel like if if God was in some type of stance, it would be something like this. And you feel like God is angry with you and mad at you because he is not speaking to you and he is silent to you. And the father in this story is silent. But do you want to know why he's silent? He's not silent because he's angry. He's silent because he's busy getting ready to throw a party. And for some of you, you think God is ticked at you. He's angry at you. He's frustrated at you. Let me tell you, If you're starting to move towards him, he will run to you. And you are mistaking the silence of God with he's busy throwing you a party. And let me tell you, it's this right here. It's this verse. It's this story. After reading this and studying this, that four years ago we decided, you know what, we want to start a church for people who don't like the church. Because there's a lot of them out there. A lot of people. Y'all have heard me say this a lot. And if you're new to one church, maybe you haven't. Did you know that 88% of people in Clarksville don't go to church anywhere? 88%. That's basically 9 out of 10 people are at home this morning because they think, you know what, I'm going to get judged. Or it's not relevant. It's not engaging. It's not going to help. I think God's mad at me. I don't want to return home. I used to go to church, but I don't anymore. You know, I did all of this stuff. and God can't never accept me. And you know what? They're 100% wrong. So we decided, you know what? Why don't we start a church that resembles more like a party? Because that's what heaven is. Did you know what the Bible says? That when one lost sinner comes to God, the Bible says that the angels in heaven whoop it up. 
So why don't we have a church for people who have disconnected with God, have not been the if not connected with God at all, and we say, let me point you the way. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, Jesus said, this is his mission. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And here's the crazy thing about this, guys. I used to be lost. I'm going to even put it down a little bit farther. Did you know you used to be lost? So you may have forgot that. You may think, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good for God. Do you know what I'm giving? We're going to talk about you next week. That's the older brother. <laughs> but for today, we're talking to all the youngers, everybody who's walked away from God. And the crazy thing about it, guys, that is me. That is you. And some of you are so afraid right now because you think, I don't know what I'm doing here. I think God's mad at me. And if you just hear nothing else, our Heavenly Father is filled with love and compassion. And what He's asking you to do, it's not just to feel bad, not to wallow and cry and all of that stuff. Some of that stuff is good, it's great, but that's not where we need to get stuck at. Because repentance isn't an emotion. It is the motion of stopping the direction you're headed turning around and going back to where you belong. And that is home. Here's how we're going to close. I'm going to pray and um, we're just going to talk to God right now. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's some of you that you, if you were kind of looking back and thinking through that question, has there ever been a time in your life you've been closer to God? You could answer that. So I'm going to pray for you. You know you have a relationship with God, but you're not where you need to be. You're not where you belong. So I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm also going to pray for those people who you don't think you have a relationship with God. You don't think God could ever accept you. And you need to hear me clearly. God does accept you. If you have any question about how much God accepts you, look at Jesus on the cross. That is what God is willing to to do in order for you to be accepted. That's the price he's willing to pay. Only thing you need to do is come home.